Leafs Lounge is the destination for passionate discussion about your team. Listen as experts Aaron Greenfield, Aaron Stern, and Jeffrey Martin deconstruct the week's action and tee up next week's game. One team, three opinions. Leafs Lounge. Welcome to Leafs Lounge. I'm Aaron Greenfield. I'm Jeffrey Martin. And today we're going to be talking a little bit of expansion draft. Last night it was announced that the Las Vegas Golden Knights will be the new franchise in the NHL. And we're going to preview what the Maple Leafs lineup may look like once an expansion draft happens. Who will be protected? Who will the Leafs expose? Also on tap, we'll talk about the Centennial Classic jerseys which were released. And we'll talk about Gardner and Carrick, if this pair is here to stay. Yeah, and there was three games on the docket last week. Just to uh, refresh all of you. Uh, the Leafs won 6-1 to one against the Florida Panthers and then ran into a little bit of an offensive uh, struggle. They ran into a hot goalie in Carey Price, the best goalie in the NHL. And then they struggled last night against the Carolina Hurricanes, a team who seems to have the Leafs' number. Yeah, I think we faced a couple good goalies. Sorry, who was the first game of the, the week? It was against uh, James Reimer and the Florida Panthers. Right, so James Reimer isn't that good, despite what (laughs) Leaf fans might think. Uh, But I think Carey Price and Cam Ward. Well, Cam Ward's on a a hot spell, and obviously Carey Price is the best goalie in the world. So the Leafs were challenged for sure this last week. They have faced a lot of backup goalies. They faced a backup goalie, um, I know, in Nashville, um, L.A., even though they didn't score a goal on them. They've been facing a lot of backups. I don't know if that's intentional on the other teams. They think that they can rest their goalies against the Leafs, but maybe teams are uh, learning that the Leafs are very offensively powerful. That's their strength for sure. Uh, so if you can shut their offense down, if you can shut the a young team's offense down, uh, they'll get impatient, um, and they'll turn the puck over shorthanded like they did last night. Um, and it's tough. It's tough to score against Carey Price and Cam Ward when they're when they're hot. Um, so yeah, it, it it's a. <laughs> I think uh, it was Martin Gerber on the TSN panel who was on the. It was Martin Biron. Martin Biron, sorry, not Gerber. Why? <laughs> that's stupid. Um, so Biron was saying that the because they're young, they're they're not as patient, and I think there's some truth to that, especially on the power play. He was saying that. They were really pressing them, but no one's going to chase you on the power play. No one's going to get out of position like that. So the Leafs need to be patient. Um, I think Austin Matthews, you saw a little bit last night of him trying to do a little too much. I think they were desperate. Um, the Hurricanes were playing pretty solid D. They are keeping the Leafs out of it. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Devils, another good goaltender. Um I don't know. Do you have anything to include? Well, yeah, you mentioned uh, being aggressive and patience. Uh, that's actually helped them on their penalty kill, which is one of the better penalty kills in the league because they've been aggressive and they haven't been, you know, that they haven't had a laid back style. They've really been pressing the offense um, when they're down a man. Um, their power play hasn't looked bad. They just have been struggling to score some goals. We saw um, some good looks with Jake Gardner's shot starting to come around a bit. 
He played um, some decent D as well. Yeah, which we'll get to. Um, but yeah, I think they just need to. I don't know. What do you think they need to do? Do you th- do you think they should be more patient? Because sometimes patience doesn't always lead to a good power play. We've seen least teams from the past right. uh, almost afraid to shoot, and then that results in a poor po- power play percentage. Yeah, um, I mean, it's obviously you have to go case by case, but you can't you can never force anything. I think you have to recognize how the other team is playing against you and doing what's best under those circumstances. So if if Carolina is going to pressure you into taking a bad pass, you have to realize that in a way that pressure is isn't going to do anything because they're not going to chase you or at least Biron says they're not going to chase you and I think um, maybe because they let in a couple or like let in a shorthanded goal and there were some shorthanded chances they were a little nervous and that's why they were forced into making bad plays um, and I think last night was a case of when you did need to be a little more patient um, I always always say or I don't always say but I, I always at least think that when in doubt take the shot um because shots create chances you know you don't know what can happen you're putting yourself in a good position when you're taking a shot but when when you can take a look at the game um from a wider perspective sometimes it's it's sometimes you need to realize that patience is necessary in certain circumstances i think we've seen um Mitch Marner has capitalized on patience. Uh, he almost had a chance last night. He just missed the net. Uh, he, I mean, it was the right play. He held on to the puck after a rebound. Um, Cam Ward was flailing, and it was the right move to wait, even though he missed the net. Um, so I think, yeah, you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. I think some different players on this team have different mindsets when it comes to um, shooting and patience. Um, sometimes... I mean, this team lead is one of the top uh, shooting teams in terms of shots per game. So in that sense, as a team, they take shots and they're they're right. doing the right things. But sometimes we see them trying to be a bit too cute and look for that extra pass, which results sometimes not even in a shot on goal because it's a poor decision with the puck. And the sometimes you just have to take that shot even though Right, there could be a potential for an even better look at the net, but that sometimes results in a missed chance. Which I think is because they were playing against uh, two really good goalies. Um, they felt like they had to make that extra move, and that's why they say that goalies can get in your head. And I think that was the case in this situation. Uh, they were they're trying to outplay Carey Price, um, and that I mean. Scoring two goals on Carey Price is tough, so I think that that was a result of just knowing who the goalie was and trying to do more because you need to against those goalies. I don't know. I don't. I don't know because, for, for example, Kadri was right in the slot near the end of that Canadians game, and he, you know, he sniped it. He's one of our better shooters, one of Leafs' better shooters, and Carey Price robbed him. So you you almost have to make that extra move. Obviously, Carey Price can't catch every shot. Um, it's like Murphy's Law. It's it's one will go in if you can. But Carey Price is so good, you're going to have to take 70 shots to find that one that will go in. Um, 
so you have yeah you have to do one timers like the Leafs did on their one goal. Uh, you have to you have to shoot when Carey Price is out of position, which means putting him out of position. Sometimes taking the shot is the right way to do it. You see Frederick Anderson frequently gets out of position because of shots. So um, if if you can do that, if the goalie's giving up huge rebounds that you can capitalize on, which I don't think the Leafs can. I don't think they have the size. Um, then yeah, go for it. I think I think yeah, you just have to know who you're facing and who your team was. And I think um, the Canadians are a bad matchup. The Leafs have won like or lost. I think their last eleven against the Canadians uh, could be more. Um, unfortunately, the thing I was looking at only shows you the last ten games. So um, <laughs> it was something along those lines. It's I, I mean, there's a few overtime losses, so they've gotten a few points out of it. But um, in reality. Montreal keeps winning against the Leafs. I think there's there's some there's a really bad matchup there, and the Leafs need to figure it out. I think um, Carolina is a bad matchup, at least when their goalie is hot. Uh, they play a pretty defensive game because they don't have much offense, which can I think again it's a young team. I think it can frustrate a younger team. Yeah, you talked a l- earlier about uh, Austin Matthews getting frustrated. I think he's doing the right things in terms of shots and shot selection and decisions with the puck. He's not. Really, he is at least from what I've seen. It doesn't appear like he's looking for that extra pass or he's making those types of poor decisions. It's more when he has that look, he's just missing it because it's right. a mind game. It's I think know, getting to him that he hasn't scored in thirteen games. Yeah, I think when I say he's doing extra things, it just seems like he's taking it into low, um, low reward situations. I don't know high risk situations. Uh, he'll t- he usually picks up speed. He'll stick handle. He'll cross the blue line, and he's at the center of the ice. So there's gonna be three defenders right on him. Um, he's generally or sometimes the other team has already fully back checked. So there's five people waiting on the blue line for him. I think it's partly a Babcock system where the player enters the zone through the middle and then dishes it out to the edge mm-hmm. or to the the perimeter. Mm-hmm. I think that's what Matthews is doing, but it seems like he takes it in too deep where he can't get the right pass off to the perimeter, or it seems like he's not giving him enough self, himself enough time to make the right play. I think he's doing it on purpose. He's he's trying to really pull in the defenders towards him so he can give Nylander um, enough space, which is a good play, I think. I think maybe he's it's a fine line and he's just stepping over he keeps stepping over it in um in most situations and i think maybe he is doing a little too much um and he's probably trying to do a little too much players always say that they always you know they hold the stick a little too tightly or which is kind of a metaphor for trying a little too hard i think when players get in slumps um and there's a lot of pressure on them. They're gonna they're gonna start doing those kind of things. And I think that the goal that that breaks the slump will actually be a, a dirty, probably of some rebound, um, which they they aren't getting a lot of on that line. I think they need to swap out that line a little bit. Um, but we'll see. I mean, that's easy to say, I guess. Yes, a lot of uh, Matthews' uh, first couple goals, he was right by the net. I think, and he's he's stuck there. He's done a lot of good work around. Um, right. the goal line area. Yeah, he has a lot of size. Um, and he's he's cycled the puck well. He's drove the net a few times, had a couple chances. I think he just needs to keep doing that and just get the right bounce and then have the right. puck sitting right there and he can finish it off. Um, 
so in that sense, it's encouraging that yeah. he doesn't have to do too much to change his luck. He just needs the luck to right. go his way. I think because um, JVR is a similar build and and Matthews is playing in a similar place of the ice at times, I think he should be looking at how JVR does it um, in front of the net. I think that could be valuable, um, especially at this point, just, just having some um, – net presence would be useful. I also think Zach Hyman is, um, I, I don't know who else you put on that line, but I do think that he's lacking, he's lacking some traits that could help that line. I think, I think because, I mean, Zach Hyman gets into the corners and he, he can, you know, four check fairly well. But the shot isn't there, and certain offensive yeah, things and, and aren't there. Yeah, and the size isn't really there. He's a little chippy, but I don't, I don't see him fitting in all the time. I think if Matthews is going to do what he does, which is enter the zone, he doesn't dump that frequently. He because he has the skill to um, commit to a rush. I think Hyman is the wrong player for that. I don't. You can't really dish it off to Hyman. Mm-hmm. Maybe he can pick up a rebound, but. Hyman isn't the biggest player. And and I've already noticed a little bit, um, both with Nylander and Matthews, sometimes they'll send a pass, but it's, you know, it's so good that Hyman just can't control it because <laughs> it's too, yeah. it's too good almost. Um, but only certain skilled players, which is why uh, some people, when some people argue that not everyone can play with like a Sidney Crosby, right. that's what they mean. Um, those types of plays where it's so it's such a yeah, crisp pass catches you, you need off guard. to know how to, yeah it catches you off guard you have to know how to handle that and i just don't know if i i love hyman but i'm just not sure i agree i don't know if he's the right player for that line yeah. to fully excel i think there's definitely a place for hyman i think if you want to utilize hyman the best to his abilities you need a line that does a lot of forechecking that does a lot of dumping um has a little bit more of a defensive side maybe I think Hyman and Brown, I think they play the same wing, unfortunately, but I think the, them two on the same line could offer a lot of uh, speed and a lot of uh, power on the forecheck. Um, could you see someone like Leo Komarov move to Matthews and Nylander's line while moving Hyman to Kadri and Brown's line? For sure. I could for sure see that. Uh, I, think, I think Komarov... It doesn't exactly have a ton of scoring touch, um, but I think he. But would, he has played he would with skilled be, players in the past in the yeah, KHL. I, th- I think that looking at the Leafs team currently, he would be probably the most ideal. You don't want to take JVR because you make Bozak pretty much useless if you take JVR away from him, because mm-hmm. um, Bozak is essentially, um, I don't know, he's basically a, a puck shooter. He just gives the puck to his his wingers are, and you have to hope that one of his wingers can actually score um so i think marner and jvr suit uh tyler bozak they make the most of what he can do so if you can flip around um the cadre line and the matthews line uh especially off a loss i think um you can get away with altering the lines a little bit you're not really taking you're not really um changing something that's working so yeah I, th- I think Komarov suits that line. Uh, there's there's the question of just being on the off wing, but I don't think that matters too much. Komarov seems to play everywhere. Uh, we kind of touched on it a little bit before. We were talking about 
the power play and uh, its success or lack thereof. Yeah. But uh, one thing that has been good in the last few games is Jake Gardner's shot from the point. Right, and I th- I haven't looked at the stats, but I know um, the last week I was on, which I guess was two weeks ago, he was getting a lot more playing time. And I guess with that, um, you get in a rhythm, which is nice. Um, and and with that, I think he's he's becoming more comfortable with his shot. Unfortunately, he's had some lapses here and there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm still not convinced Jake Gardner is amazing, but it's nice to have that point shot for sure. I think um, I don't. I'm not even sure Riley has a powerful shot. I'm not sure Jake Gardner is that player either. It's not you know the Brian McCabe, Shea Weber, um, you know PK Subban kind of defenseman, but it's uh, it's someone that is a threat at least. You have to account for Jake Gardner, which is nice. It, it looked like he was uh, taking an extra second to analyze what the goalie was going to do and, and I guess, locate his shot better. Um, both his goals in the last week or so from the point were to the same side, the glove side, in almost the exact same spot. Maybe what Jake Gardner just needs to do is, you know... Take his time. Take his time. Yeah, yeah maybe it's patience. I mean... <laughs> that's the uh, the episode name, I guess. <laughs> We're just preaching patience on these younger players. It's Babcock's favorite word too. Yeah, and I think you know it's it's kind of a useful um, ide- ideology, I guess, when you're playing in such a crazy market with such young players. So sometimes you just need to calm down, um, and patience embodies that. Uh, I think Jake Gardner has faced a lot of flack. Uh, he's making a lot of money now. He probably feels some pressure, but. Maybe someone is just like, Jake, just chill out, you know, make the looks, uh, analyze the play. You're like, you're a good player. You have a lot of skill. You just need to, you know, you need to play smart, I think, is uh, is probably a big thing for Jake Gardner. And I think that's why his defense has been shoddy, pretty shoddy at most times, because uh, a lot of defense is just playing smart. Um, but I hope eventually it'll come because uh, we have to... We have to withstand Jake Gardner for a while more, if not basically, unless you know you don't you expose him to the expansion draft, which we can get into later. Yeah, we've talked a lot on this show. If you listen, um, the uh, third host of this show, who's not here today, uh, Aaron Stern, is a notorious Jake Gardner hater. Right. Um, but one thing uh, he talks a lot about uh, Gardner's play in his own zone as a, a downside to Gardner's game. And, he's, and of course, Aaron Stern is not a big advanced stats fanatic, which uh, plays into some of Gardner's uh, praisers. Yeah. Um, so Connor Carrick was moved to Jake Gardner's line, and it appears Gardner's play has improved since that switch has ma- been made. Yeah, you have to give me a little more details. What What line would you say this is the first second third line i'd say this is the it's kind of the second pair because uh, it depends how you how you uh classify the polak hunwick right pair. uh it's a pseudo right. second third do you know an ice time uh, do you have <laughs> an intuitive idea um because i mean i i, I question because generally i mean third liners are playing against easier opponents uh that's not but even still let's say they are 
third pair, do you think right. they should stay that way because their their play is improving that way? And maybe it improves the team as a whole that well, way. Well, I'm not I'm not confident how much their their play has improved. It's uh, maybe it's been a little bit better. Uh, I don't know that it's been better because they're playing with each other. I, I, Gardner's made a, a few um, good defensive plays from what I've seen, um, but he's also he's also looked a little slow at times. Um, I think they've gotten caught a couple times. I don't know if they necessarily. Um, they necessarily complement each other. Neither is really that like a stay-at-home kind of guy, um, or a rock in the back end. I don't know how 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 have you seen them work together? Like, is there have you seen that tandem actually being valuable? Do they build off each other? Like, I I don't know. Uh, I noticed a lot in the last game and a little bit in the Montreal game as well. By the way, uh, the last game, Carrick had 19 minutes, Gardner had 21 minutes, so right. there's so, no slouches. So maybe that's why Gardner's looked a little slow. He's been playing a little too much. but Perhaps, and, but I thought they were they complemented each other well. Uh, it seemed like they knew where each other was, which uh, I think at times has been a weakness of Gardner, um, just knowing where the other guy, his right, de- defense pair has been. Um, which sometimes leads to a poor decision, a poor pass. Right. Um, but it's, it looks like they have a lot of chemistry. Um, they made, they both made a, um, a few solid stick checks, um, breaking up a zone yeah. entry. And you, you um, should expect that from Gardner, who is pretty tall. I, I, I see a lot of potential. It's unfortunate that he's, I think, at like 24, 25 now. He's hasn't reached it, but we'll see. But keep going, sorry. But, yeah, it looked like they were really controlling the play and driving the offense, um, which we haven't seen enough of, but we were always promised that, especially from Gardner. Yeah, because, um, yeah, we we often tout the Leafs as having too many puck-moving defensemen, but... <laughs> when when are they moving the puck basically yeah so especially the last couple games that's really been evident um yeah i i don't know i i think right the whole argument with the Corsi thing we don't always see jake gardner actually doing those things driving the play but especially the last two games i i really noticed yeah, because more than usual. One one of uh, the other Aaron's defenses, I guess, or attacks on Corsi is that it tells you who is starting in which zone. Mm-hmm. But I find it hard to believe that the Leafs are only starting Jake Gardner in the offensive zone when he's playing twenty one minutes. Right. That's like that's like he's every offensive the, zone yeah. opportunity. He was in the defensive in a zone very a offensive game because I don't know. I think. I, I mean, if you want to legitimize Corsi, you, you would probably have to watch the games and show how his Corsi, and, and then that just defeats the point of Corsi. Just watch the games if you have to analyze every game to see how Corsi actually reflects the game. Um, but I think I think if his Corsi is good, I, I haven't looked at the numbers this year. Traditionally, they it are has, they are good. They are good. They're I one think of the best if, on this team. That's cool. We should actually go through some of them because Aaron isn't here to stop us. But um, I think that if you're playing 21 minutes, which he hasn't all season, but if you're consistently playing in the upper end of minutes, you're not being started in the offensive zone. Um, Essentially, your Corsi is telling you that you're getting a lot of shots um, when you're on the ice compared to shots against, which is good, which means I think Jake Gardner isn't necessarily 
blocking a lot of shots or stopping the other team from getting a lot of shots, which could be the case. But I think um, if you look at Jake Gardner, you don't see him as that kind of defenseman. I think he's probably just getting the forwards a lot of chances. So, yeah, and I, I think they're you're getting um, these these high-skilled forwards a lot of opportunities, either stretch passes or, um, you know, just, just getting them some speed into the offensive zone and and giving them chances, I guess, is how you kind of explain that, Corsi. Um, I don't know. I, can we compare um, how many shots for when they're on the ice compared to other defensemen? Is that is that revealed on the um, on the website? You don't have to do that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, sorry, I've never actually looked at this website. So they give you a lot of abbreviations. So Corsi 460 for Jake Gardner is 68, which is the highest on the team. So that essentially means he is on for every 60 minutes he's on the ice, there's 68 shots. So essentially if somehow Jake Gardner played the whole game, the team would have 68 shots. That doesn't really make sense to me, but um Anyways, I think the at least the essence of what the stat is giving us when you compare Jake Gardner's 68.38 to even Morgan Riley's um, 62 or uh, Nikita Zaitsev's 56 shots for um, per 60 minutes, I think that uh, you're seeing that Jake Gardner is getting the team a lot of opportunities, and I think partially it has to do with his offensive zone starts but I think that if you look at Morgan Riley, who's apparently had um, 20 more, 25 more offensive zone starts, he's had four less shots per 60 minutes. So if you, if you look at who's getting the team more offensive chances per 60 minutes, it's Jake Gardner, which is, is a reflection of how Riley is playing against harder opponents but it also shows that Jake Gardner is being effective in the offensive zone. Um, I think you can pull a lot. I think you, I mean, I'm not going to get an argument against Corsi with myself or with you who also, I think sort of supports the the statistic, but I think there are things you can pull out of that. And I think you can see that Jake Gardner is producing offensively, even though um, he's not necessarily producing the most he's not the strongest person in the defensive end i think overall he yeah i think aaron stern's a bit too critical of gardner when he's in his own zone and when he makes some of those bonehead plays like yeah which they're, I, they're noticeable yeah i'm pretty critical but, as well but but I've... over the course of not just one game but a season like his those metrics are th- i think are more valuable than yeah i think the occasional the occasional play, right because i mean every defenseman is occasionally gonna make yeah he's gonna like mess that. up and and it's jake garner so you always notice because everyone has a vendetta for jake right garner, some people but... notice those mistakes more with certain players than others riley's gonna make those mistakes too yeah um i think you play enough uh and you try to make things happen you're not always going to play the conservative play because you know teams need someone who 
are going to take chances, be aggressive, or you'll never score, or you'll be the Minnesota Wild, um, it, which isn't very interesting hockey. Uh, it'll just, you know, sometimes you have to throw the puck up the ice. It's and, just like P.K. Subban making yeah. turnovers, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's analyzed more because he's a polar, like he's a he's, you know, type of player that he is. The attention's on him, and those mistakes are going to be Yeah, they're very magnified. obvious. Um, I think we had a nice little Corsi talk there without the uh, interruption of our anti-Corsi uh, <laughs> right, right. Um, host. Um, hopefully he's listening to this. And I, I really hope he listens to this later and just gets really frustrated with us. Yeah, he comes back with like a next. You should tune in next rant. week and hear Aaron Stern try and debunk our right Corsi talk. Uh, so I think we were going to get into expansion draft a little bit. Um, I was just looking at the team and I, I was, I was scrolling. I don't know. We did this last year and we didn't have much trouble, but I looked at it again this year and I'm having even, I'm having trouble finding uh, a fifth, a sixth and seventh forward to protect. Really? Yeah. So I don't know if you're, you're looking at the list. Unfortunately, the internet Ryerson is pretty absurd. So I'm having, okay. So I got the list up here. So there's a handful of players. Um, I'm just going to list off some of the notable mentions for you at home who don't have a list in front of you of forwards. And these are the ones who are protected or the ones that are Oh, I'm just going to maybe, maybe forwards you want to protect. So I'll say um, Ben Smith, Brendan Leipzig, uh, Connor Brown, JVR, um, maybe Joffrey Lupul if you're crazy, um, Leo Kar- Komarov, Nazem Kadri, Tyler Bozak. Uh, those are just a few, probably the ones I would protect. Some that you would definitely not need to protect are Nathan Horton, uh, probably Peter Holland, um, you know, Matt Martin, if they really wanted to take Matt Martin, people are very critical of his contract, but it might end up happening. Uh, I think, I think it's hard to, I mean, it's not that hard, but if you're comparing the Leafs, the the seven forwards, the Leafs are going to protect, I think Brendan Leipzig will be on that list. Uh, Absolutely, which is is pretty absurd considering some of the other players that teams are going to have to protect or give up. For example, um, Anaheim might have to give up one of their their top four defensemen. Um, I think Pittsburgh is most likely going to lose a goalie. I haven't looked into other teams' forward situations, but I assume that they're going to be protecting NHL players. If the Leafs have to dig into AHL players to protect someone I, I think that's that's pretty funny so i mean the leafs lucked out in the sense that a lot of their star players don't have the required amount of uh, nhl experience yeah so for example players like kapanen soshnikov nylander hyman matthews marner all those guys are already protected they're not eligible to be exposed exactly. um so that leaves players like leipzig or Brent, like the you right. know, uh, okay. yeah. So so then this morning I was I was wondering if the Leafs were to trade for another defenseman like we have been I I think somewhat critical about the Leafs they need to do and and no one on our podcast has brought up the fact that then they would have essentially four defensemen that the Leafs would or maybe five defensemen that the Leafs would want to protect which would be um, in my view would be Riley Gardner. Carrick and Zaitsev so that would be four if the Leafs were to trade for another defenseman it would be five and I think I think because one of the conditions is that you can take eight players and or protect one eight players and a goalie I think 
I, I guess, a con against um, trading for another defenseman would be that you couldn't protect one of those four. You would probably lose Carrick because the forwards that you're protecting um, would pretty much leave no one else to be desired. So I think I think Carrick would probably be traded. So it's 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 a weird situation because I don't think there's a lot of teams that would protect eight players. Do you see the Leafs protecting eight players? Um, do you think that the Leafs should go into their AHL roster and protect Leipzig if it means losing Carrick or or sorry, do you think that they should allow Leipzig to be unprotected along with a few other players well, to protect Carrick? Well, let's say they go with the eight skaters. Who else are they protecting if they're not protecting Leipzig? So it, it would be it would be four the four defensemen: Carrick, Gardner, um, Riley, and Zaitsev. Well, Zaitsev's already. Oh, Zaitsev's already protected. Already, Zaitsev's so, already protected. So it would so be th- it would be three plus. Sorry, that that's why. Okay. Yeah. So so this so is, just to clarify for those who are listening, um, the defensemen who are protected already are Valiev, Justin Hall, those players are on the Marlies, Nikita Zaitsev, Andrew Nielsen, and Travis Dermott. Right. So the ones who need to be protected are Andrew Campbell, who's playing on the Marlies, Connor Carrick, Frank Corrado, Jake Gardner, Jared Cowan, Martin Marinson, Matt Hanwick, Morgan Riley, Roman Polak, Victor Love, and Stefan Robida. Right, which are, there's a few, obviously. Um, you don't the protect. main three, if, if they do the seven forwards, three defense, and one goalie, uh, I assume both of us are in agreement. You take Riley, Gardner, Gardner and Carrick, Carrick right. leaving Car- notables Corrado, uh, Marinson, Hunwick, Polak exposed. Which are very minor casualties if you lose them. I Honestly, I think they're very... Um, right, and there's no guarantee that Vegas will even want them. Yeah, so I think where my, where my analysis or per- perhaps my question is if the Leafs trade for another defenseman, say they move to JVR... Mm-hmm for a defenseman. So now you have four defensemen to protect. You have Carrick, that defenseman, Riley, Gardner. Zaitsev is already protected. Mm-hmm. Now you have one less forward to protect. So you have Bozak, um, Kadri, Komarov, and I don't know. It could be Leipzig, to be honest. It could be Connor Brown, probably Connor Brown over Leipzig. So would you would you consider, how heavily would you consider doing eight players? Um, or would you just wait till next year to trade for that defenseman that we've been yelling about perhaps perhaps that's why they haven't they haven't yeah that's i think that's that's kind of what i'm saying here but i i i think it's an interesting question um do you i mean are leaf fans already over this rebuild i think a lot are i think people think that leafs have some potential here to make the playoffs but do you potentially lose a player like carrick or a player like leipzig in the name of making play the playoffs, I honestly I don't think they're good players. They have potential to be um, excellent players, but I don't know if I don't know if you you don't make your team as best as you can right now. Um, I, I'm not. I can't remember what Babcock or Shanahan. Someone they had a press conference and they were asked that question: if they were in contention, would they? trade would they make a trade or would they try and improve their team and I, I feel like they gave some sort of generic answer but also hinted that they might do something like that but at the same time i still don't think they'd sacrifice the long-term 
good of this team right. to make one playoff run. I think they understand the mistakes that have been made from past management of trying to do that when they're not ready to fully contend. Yeah. And I think Babcock, Shanahan, all those guys are on board. They're they're aware this team shouldn't be contending or contending for the Stanley Cup this year. Right. That's just the reality. They're not they're not so they experienced can enough. The, 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 I guess so I think they, they're willing to be patient enough, even if they are in a playoff spot or in contention, that they aren't going to make a, a move that will potentially hinder them in the future, like trading right. a JVR this year. Well, if, if they're in contention, I don't think they would trade JVR necessarily. I think trading JVR could be the good of your future, mm-hmm. um, depending on who you can get back the other way. And maybe maybe they're just going to wait for free agency. They see some some potential free agents. Um, they can fill that need later at a more important time. They don't need that defenseman right now. I also see JVR's trade value going down a little bit as the years even, go on. Even with his hot start to the season this year? Well, I think it's an all-time high right now. I think you have two years on a really friendly contract, um, and you trade him next year you only have one year on that friendly contract Mm -hmm. and then you have to sign him to a very probably an unfriendly contract because he's been working for such a low a low wage compared to what he can do um so i think you lose some value in that in waiting i don't know if it's a brendan leipzig um kind of value or less but i think that brendan leipzig you have a lot of brendan leipzig's on your team and um, you can taunt Las Vegas with that if they if they want to, um, or you know we, he, the Leafs just wait. They play the waiting game. They protect seven forwards, three defensemen. Who do you think they lose? Well, back to back to the JVR thing first. Um, I used to be on the I fully on board with the trading JVR, right. um, but more and more I think. I think I would keep him even if it meant re-signing him to a less-than-friendly contract. Right. Um, it was mentioned once on one of the TSN intermission broad, uh, broadcasts where they said, yeah, you have JVR to this uh, friendly contract, and he's great, but then you trade him and you get a defenseman, but then you're looking for that JVR again, and they don't really have someone with the same size uh, as him with the same offensive ability and the same right uh, hockey IQ, all that. So I think he's valuable if you want to be a contender. You you almost need a player like that, a power forward who can score and do all those things that he does. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and and they already have. You could argue a decent top four defense if they have the Riley. Zaitsev, yeah, Gardner. In my view, it's not Carrick, a cup-winning um, defense. But but if you were to trade one of their prospects for another top four guy who can play in your bottom pair, who's an upgrade over what they have, I feel like that makes the entire defense corps better. Yes, but I think they need more than a bottom bottom four guy. I think they need um, – there. there's an argument that Riley will be an elite defenseman. Um, it's a pretty good argument, but I think that you want to go for another one. You want to go for that second guy that can also play with Riley 
And I don't think you get that with a prospect unless it's an elite prospect. I think you get that with JVR and and people may question the fact that you need those kind of players. Um, so you don't think Zaitsev is a, is good enough to be on the I top I think pair? on a Stanley Cup winning team, Zaitsev is a second pair defenseman. Um, there's, there's some room for improvement, but he's fairly old already. Um, I think if you look at a team like Chicago, Joel Merson is probably around the same area as Zaitsev will be, and that's a cup-winning team. They have two solid um, starting defensemen, I guess. Uh, when I say starting defensemen, that's a, kind of a football term, but top-pair defensemen. Keith and Seabrook. Yeah, and um, I don't think they've looked at their back end for the last six years with serious consideration about moving anything. I think that's where the Leafs need to get. If they you know, they find that, that, that young defenseman who's eventually going to be um, you know, the next Keith or Seabrook. But at the same time, I mean, Pittsburgh won the cup this past year and they didn't have the yeah, most overwhelming defense. <laughs> they have either. the best, they have the best player in the world. So that's true. Or, but let's say in a few years, Marner, Matthews, the rest of their forwards, uh, mature a bit and develop a bit more. And let's say Riley develops a bit more and all these other players that right. they have to de- develop more. Because they they relied on Latang a ton in yeah. that Stanley Cup final, is there a potential where they already have most of the core that they need, and they just need a few more pieces to solidify their depth? See, I, I think you almost produced a counter argument for me that Marner and Nylander and Matthews, all these forwards are going to get better, and I think that's where you replace JVR. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you you get that size in players like uh, Kirby Reichel if he ever plays or Josh Levo if he ever plays. But you can find similar players to JVR, maybe not as skilled, but you already have three or four really skilled players that I'm not sure. Um, I don't I don't think it's as much of a need as that defenseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I don't know. Sorry, what was your your question? Oh, I was just asking if they already have. Well, I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying where you could trade JVR because they have enough forward depth and then JV, the, the piece that comes back in the JVR trade is used as your defensive depth. Right. It just depends, I guess, how they want to go about approaching a playoff attack. Do they want to be right this offensive juggernaut or do they want to be defensive-minded? I think Babcock is the type to be more... Defensive minded, so. where you already have the offensive skill that will. I, I don't. I don't want to say Babcock is defensive minded, but I think that he likes good defensemen. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think that because Babcock's play is largely offensive zone possession, the defensemen are also forwards. In that case, um, you need defensemen that can play, can at least possess a puck and pass it around, can perhaps shoot it. There's a some offensive threat there, so I think that. Um, I think all players suit Babcock's system. He needs a defenseman. He needs forwards um, that can play in the zone and can move the puck around. Um, and I think a lot of that play starts from the defense. Um, I think you risk um, odd man rushes by having a good, smart defenseman on the back end when you're playing. When you're playing the cycle, There's, um, I think there's more risk for them to, for for turnovers for risky turnovers um especially at the blue line 
uh, where you, you see it m more often on um, penalty kills. But essentially, the defensemen pass the puck to each other, and a forward breaks up that play and goes off on a breakaway, um, essentially at, by breaking the play up at the blue line. And I think when you have good um, defensive, good defensemen that are also good in the offensive zone, you 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 stop that from happening. You um, you insulate yourself from that risk, among other things. I think that having that defenseman is really important in all ends of the ice, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, do you have anything a, else to say about uh, that? Definitely an interesting debate. We'll, we'll make sure to pick it up next week with Aaron Stern and get his thoughts as well. Right. Uh, if you want to participate in this discussion, send us a tweet at Leafs Lounge. We're going to wrap it up, but uh, the Leafs released their Centennial Classic jerseys. Did you like them? Uh, I, I believe I saw them. They were the the white stripe yeah. with the leaf. Uh, yeah, I actually did like them. I, I put out a, a Twitter poll, and a majority of you actually said yes. I like this. Nice. Which is interesting because I I did not. I wasn't a huge fan. I was hoping they would go with something that they've worn in the past, like what right. they did for the last Winter Classic. Um, but this was kind of a hybrid. Yeah, it felt retro still. It was retro, but at the same time modern. But they'd never worn a jersey, so it felt kind of... I, I've never I've never worn a jersey with that style, so it kind of felt fake. But I don't know. I was hoping for a Toronto Arena's full-on retro, right. but we may have to wait another day for that. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and check out our blog. We'll see you next week. <laughs>